0: Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in, and welcome to our tribe. Hey there, Solar Warrior. Welcome to another Tactical Tuesday, conversations with subject matter experts designed to give you practical tools, tips, and advice for building your solar business and career and grow with us here on Suncast. Each week, I bring you guests who can help share tools and insights to scale your impact with deeper insights. I'm so honored that you've chosen to show up today and sharpen the saw here with us. Today, as we wrap up the first month of 2023, We'll learn from not one but two market experts with specific knowledge into how the us distributed generation market has fared over the past 12 months and we'll glean insights as to how you can best position yourself for the rest of the year first we'll speak with gustavo montero ceo of edpr north america's distributed generation business gustavo took this role in the beginning of 2022 and given EDPR is the fourth largest producer of renewable energies in the world, his perspective is truly global. You'll learn how multinational corporations are integrating renewables, and in particular solar plus storage, and what EDPR and Gustavo see as key trends to follow closely if you want to win in distributed generation. Following Gustavo, we'll get an insider's look at just how Wood McKinsey's quarterly U.S. Solar Market Insights report suggests this year might pan out. The lead author of this report is principal analyst Michelle Davis, and she joins me again to interpret just what the data suggests the U.S. market can expect in the coming few quarters. I'm so glad that you've decided to join us again and level up your game, Solar Warrior. You can find resources mentioned today, as well as the contact details and website links for our guests in the show notes for today's episode over at mysuncast.com. And of course, that's where you'll also find inspiration, expert advice, and deep practical tools from more than 500 additional founder stories, clean energy leader profiles. For now, let's get down to business and tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, with another practical, tactical conversation here on Suncast. Well, the North America market has proven, despite delays and problems with Import tariffs and trade regulations, still one of the most exciting markets in the world. And for a number of reasons, the distributed generation market, all the way from small residential up to small utility scale, is the area that all eyes are focused on. It is the sector where we expect tremendous growth from commercial industrial, which we refer to as C&I, as well as community solar. Few companies in the world have the breadth and depth of those skill sets required to approach the distributed generation market that EDPR does. Today I'm joined as I mentioned by Gustavo Montero. Gustavo, it's great to finally have you here on Suncast. Thank
1: you Nico. It's a pleasure to be here with you today.
0: Well Gustavo, you've taken on a lot of activity in the last year that you have moved to America from Portugal. You've uh, become the CEO of the North America Distributed Generation team as you mentioned pr- previously. And you're responsible for the growth of this segment for a global energy company, one of the top clean energy providers in the world. You're also trained in economics and a self-proclaimed black sheep in your family. I'd love it if you could give those who maybe have no context uh, or experience with sort of EDPR and who you are within that organization, how you transitioned from 14 years in telecom to eventually lead EDP
1: renewals as the CEO of the North America Distributed Generation Team. Black Sheep, I know. I I like that one, Nico. So for the benefit of those who who did not listen to our our conversation when when we first met, that's because my closest relatives are doctors and I did not follow such noble career myself. (laughs) Instead, I followed, as you as you mentioned, a significantly different path. I studied economics and business administration so sometimes i use i like to call myself as the black sheep of my of my family but yeah it was it was a significant change uh, after so many years in in this industry telecom industry that is well known uh, as being highly competitive innovation focused client driven i had this great opportunity to to join edp group in portugal and if you are an outsider to the energy sector or energy industry if you prefer you might think that it's a movement from a more fast-paced sector, uh, the telecoms, to a less fast-paced one in in energy. But let me tell you, you couldn't be more wrong. Mm. It's incredible the the phase, uh, the stage that the energy industry is at the moment. Not only in the US, but across most of the geographies that that I that I've worked in, it's an immense transformation towards a better future. And this, this is something that I believe that a professional like me, a person, a person like me really thinks it's a privilege and, uh, something that I couldn't, I couldn't say no. After being here for the last, I would say five years in this industry, it's incredible. And the purpose is there. The purpose is right. and all the eyeballs are, are looking at, at the transformation that this, this industry is deploying all around the world. So you
0: came over from telecom and first cut your teeth at a more executive overview level at EDPR in Portugal. Could you explain a bit the sort of the macro experience or top-down view that you had on the business prior to being appointed the role to move over to America and, and take the role that you currently have? So
1: my first appointment at EDP in Portugal was to lead the RESI segment and the community solar business model that we were launching in Iberia, uh, in Portugal, to be more specific. It's a transition that helps being for 14 years in in, in an industry that is client-focused, it's it's innovation-oriented, and it's highly competitive, as I said. But it's not enough. One needs to understand energy, one needs to understand the the transformation and the fast paced transformation that this industry is deploying. And it was a challenge for me as well, as a professional, to make sure that I was able to start leading and managing teams to deliver the goals that we had in front of us.
0: And a great opportunity, I'm sure, for you to transition into what we might refer to, and this is a corporate kind of corporate speak anyway, but like the EDPR way, just to get your bearings on the way the organization operates you know, we had Sundia on, so we got uh, some expert insight into how the organization is structured globally, but it takes time transitioning from another industry altogether, you mentioned telecom, into the energy sector. So what a great way for you to get that foundational experience from, let's say, the mothership, right, sitting at headquarters in Portugal. You taking the mantle of CEO for the North America Distributed Generation Team, opted to move to New York where you guys have wonderful facilities right downtown, had a chance to meet with your team there. I'd love to know uh, just at a personal level, is there anything that has been uh, particularly interesting or surprising to you, maybe even unexpected in the process of moving your family from, uh, from
1: Portugal over to North America? I guess when you're moving, when you're transforming your life and uh, transitioned from, from one country to, to another, there are always surprises and there are always new things that you need to, to adapt, to cope with. But from a professional standpoint, I wouldn't call them surprises. More confirmation of trends or something that I knew that I was going to, to encounter here in North America. To give you a couple of examples, this is not a single market when you look at DG or renewals. It's a market with different geographic or Better if you, if you want, with different regulatory contexts that ultimately dictate that we must look at business opportunities with specific lenses, depending on the states that we are analyzing or addressing an opportunity. It's also visible that we have very different stages of development of solar DG and, and renewables as a whole, as well, when we analyze the entire US markets. If you can say that already a significant number of states where DG has already a long story of development and penetration. And these tend to be more interesting markets in terms of size of the opportunity, but also more competitive ones because they're more mature. Uh, We also have some states where DG is still taking off if you want or preparing to take off. But those states, those markets will definitely be the the future growth markets here in the US as well. I would also say when you look at Regulation and compare North America with some European contexts that, that I had the chance to to work on. I believe here I find a more pragmatic approach to regulation. When there is a clear goal to create opportunities to grow a specific business model, if you want, there is a pragmatic way of laying out the rules that will incentivize private investment. So pragmatic, I think it's it's the right word to to describe what I confirmed when I came here and started to, to understand how the regulation was being laid out to promote the private investment. And also, I couldn't end this, this answer without mentioning the entrepreneurial DNA of this country. What else is there to say? It is undisputed that this market has an entrepreneurial drive or vibe, if you prefer, like no other that I've worked in.
0: Well, oh, Gustavo... When you and I first met back in uh, the sort of the Q4 timeframe of last year, 2022, everyone, including EDPR, was deep in the planning process. You know, part of the conversation today is not only to take a retrospective on how did 2022 turn out, but importantly, to look at the trends for 2023. I'm curious, as you start to round out the year and, and you're planning for the upcoming year, which is now we're squarely in. What sorts of data sources are you relying on both internally and externally for your estimations of market size, direction, opportunities and scale? Could you frame that part of the conversation for me?
1: I guess it's a layered exercise here. It's a complex one. We need to combine a number of different data sources, as you, as you mentioned, both internal from, from our team's from, from the conversations and, and the data that we collect from, from the market, from our customers, from, from our prospects, our partners, with, with external sources, from consultants, from industry experts, such as WoodMack, provides plenty of information that we, we incorporate in our decision-making. And it's through the combination of these data sources that we will be able to, to understand trends, demand-driven trends, regulatory trends, financial market trends, supply chain trends, etc., but that we will also be able to understand where are the value pools in this industry, where is the money being created and where it is not. And ultimately we use this to support our strategic decisions, not only in terms of the segments that we are going to focus on, but also in terms of the business model that we are operating and how can we adapt to this so we can be better prepared to capture the value that it's out there in the markets.
0: So in 2022 we all experienced not only a supply constrained market but a potentially as a result of trade regulations a supply constrained market there were a lot of headwinds from the planning you no doubt engaged in in 2021 heading into the year that changed the panorama for everyone as i mentioned in the outset i don't presume that anyone who's listening understands EDPR as an organization or EDPR North America and the areas that you focus, although we did a series with you all uh, as our partners for community solar, where clearly you all have established leadership, not just at home in Iberia, but abroad. But the market generally over uh, overall declined year over year, with the, with the exception being sort of the residential sector last year. Yet in 2023 now, we have what many believe not no longer is a headwind, but a tailwind with the IRA uh, expected to bring something like a 62 gigawatt boost over the next five years. I'd love it if you would take a moment then, as we look back at 2022. For those who are unfamiliar with your North America operations, would you give us a sense of the scale and the type of operation that you run for EDPR North America distributed generation, and perhaps where we would start? That I think is one acronym that gets super overused in our industry for folks who aren't part of our sector. Let's define distributed generation as a component of that, in particular, what it means for EDPR. What's the band or range of projects, the typical focus, et cetera. So give us a sense of your North America operations. And then how do we define DG or how do you and your
1: team define it? Our DG platform is part of a a bigger mothership that we have here in North America that launched operations some years ago, I would say 15 years ago, and is today one of the largest investors in renewable energies in the country. This operation is led by Sandia as as we know, and I'm heading the, the DG platform in North America. Defining DG is not a simple thing. Your question has a a difficult and complex answer. I will try to to explain how we look at it uh, in terms of the separation of businesses that our mothership, if you want, the utility scale oriented organization performs and how are we managing our operations at the DG? What kind of projects are we focusing on? So mm-hmm. typically we, we work with the traditional DG projects on site, rooftop or canopy projects for CNI, uh, community solar projects, and also some remote net metering or, or even uh, smaller projects for utilities, typically below 20 megawatts. Most of our business, you can describe it as solar DG only, we're also dedicating more and more time to solutions where we couple storage with solar DG.
0: And so, what I hear is the distributed generation market for you is anything not residential and smaller than 20 megawatts.
1: Yes, correct. We're not dedicating our, our business to the RESI segment in North America, although we have that expertise in other countries where ETP uh, and ETP are, are present. For example, in in Iberia, we do have DG operations dedicated to RESI, but you're correct. In North America, our focus is on CNI and community solar and also some projects for utilities.
0: And in that band, you know, anything not residential and sub-20 megawatt, can you help me understand kind of the the total number or types of projects and states that you are represented in?
1: Sure. In terms of projects, well, in, in states... Today we're present in more than twenty states already. And in terms of projects we'll be ending this year, or we ended the year with well over two hundred projects in our operational fleet. In terms of overall size of what we are aiming for in North America, the Digi Platform success is part of EDPRNA's exponential growth. And if you account for all the ambition that we have Utility scale and DG scale in North America, we're, we're talking about close to two gigawatts of new operating capacity per year over the next years.
0: Well, in terms of verticals or markets, you know, we mentioned a few here. I'm curious, where has your team experienced the most growth in the year looking back?
1: Clearly from CNI with more traditional on-site solar DG solutions mostly on the back of ESG agendas and energy efficiency agendas from, from the market and from, from, the, from the companies that we work with that continue to drive and continue to drive a large portion of, of the growth in, in the DG space. But also not only that, also we're seeing more and more opportunities and we've been pursuing more and more opportunities for the larger ground-mounted projects for community solar and remote net metering programs in states where these programs are being developed. But we're also seeing more and more opportunities for large ground-mount projects for community solar and remote net metering programs in states that are promoting these programs in a way to accelerate the deployment of renewables and of DG. I would also mention storage. We're seeing an increased interest in the market for PV coupled with, with storage solutions and this is occupying our development attention and pipeline in meaningful ways.
0: That's fantastic. You mentioned CNI. For the layperson, CNI refers to commercial and industrial, and it can refer in many ways to retail customers from Amazon and Facebook and Walmart, classic traditional examples, down to the, sort of the smaller 50 kilowatt, like many hundreds of Walgreens have deployed solar and EV charging in storage. Do you have an example that is particularly sort of close to heart for EDPR of a CNI customer from the last year that would help our, our listeners better understand kind of how you approach the CNI market? I would
1: see plenty. <laughs> but <laughs> of course, while Walmart continues to be our main CNI client with more than 50 sites that we have operational with, with, with them, uh, we've been growing significantly with, with other large and mid sized companies over the year. Across different verticals and and also different states, I wouldn't call for a specific project or or, or customer here. Maybe an example of of a project that we've been developing with global supplier of auto parts, uh, which is Far Asia. and it's it's interesting because it represents a global project where we are partnering with different DG platforms across the globe that we operate uh, with a customer that has a global presence, which I believe it's an interesting project. And it also depicts some trends that we're seeing more and more in the, in the industry.
0: You had a project with Mojave Electric featured recently, sort of towards the end of the year in Canary Media. And I'm curious your thoughts on, because you just mentioned storage being a feature of like taking up your development team's time. Uh, reflecting on the Mojave Electric Co-op, how did you see storage become a more prominent uh, element of the development platform in 22
1: that you expect to carry on in 23. So you mentioned the Mojave Electric Cooperative Project. It's a, it's a flagship, flagship project and one that we are very proud of developing and, and building for a, a cooperative in Mojave. It shows how this partner looked at the technologies that are available in the market and partnered with us. In order to deploy a solution for a problem that they want, that needed to solve, uh, not only they need to address demand peak periods that their members have every year, but also in a way that is cost-effective for them and for their members. And we were able to to develop this with with several partners that we onboarded on the project, so that we can we can have a a comprehensive and successful story with, with, with Mojave Electric Coop. And this shows that the boundaries in the markets for storage are blurring. Meaning if, if we look back some years, we would say that the traditional client for storage would be the more traditional CNI, but it's no longer the truth, no longer the norm. And we see that the applications of storage are jumping those boundaries uh, more and more, and we have other business applications for for this product.
0: Well, there were, as I mentioned, numerous challenges throughout the year. I'd love if you could underscore what those, some of those challenges were and how you handled them uh, to navigate what became a tumultuous year and bring in examples to the extent that you can.
1: Plenty of challenges, as you can imagine, not only in 2022, but if we look forward 2023, 2024, most of them will be there. Some of them might have been disappeared or we have been able to tackle them successfully. But top of my mind, it's supply chain disruption. It's not something that we, we had to tackle and we discovered in 22. It started before and it's something that it's not specific from the United States. It's everywhere. I've seen vendors and I've I've had some conversations with with some of our partners uh, that the constraints are everywhere. The demand is putting a lot of pressure on the supply chain. Everything that is happening in Europe is putting uh, a lot of pressure on the supply chains. And the U.S. is not immune to that because if there's more pressure on another market, we will need to make sure that we are really partnering and really working with the vendors that we elected as the preferential ones. Of course, we had other challenges beyond the supply chain this year. Everything around the visibility on, on this non-circumvention events in the, mid of the, in the middle of the year, the period that built up to the IRA, and ultimately we had a full disclosure and, and a good disclosure on the rules and the set of rules that we are going to operate with the next coming years. And finally, of course, some of our projects were, were impacted by longer than expected permitting uh, processes that I believe that we will continue to, to have to tackle and work closely with, with the permitting authorities.
0: Gustavo, I appreciate the look back on the tremendous growth for your organization in your first year being here running the DG team. And I want to get your perspective, particularly here now that we're sitting in January 2023, on what folks, through the lens of how kind of ADPR sees the market, what folks can expect, the vision for the year and the trends that you see coming for distributed generation, for that sector that we've already defined as a sort of commercial, industrial, and small utility-scale projects. I'd love to get your thoughts on what we can expect for
1: 2023. Without a doubt, vendor and developer partnerships Will continue to play a key role in our success story, not only for EDPR and ADG, but for everybody that needs to, that wants to play and be successful at the DG space in North America. Second, I believe that we will continue to see more and more a consolidation of the decisions with with large companies, meaning that we will see more and more companies starting to address the energy transition agenda. No longer as a local decision making process, but more and more as a centralized decision that will then be governed and managed at a central level. And that will pose some challenges to players that want to be successful in this space. Uh, I would say, third, we'll continue to see a relevant pressure of ESG agendas from CNI, large and mid sized CNI players in North America that will continue to drive a significant portion of growth of the DG deployment next in the next years and it's going to become more and more comprehensive what do I mean by this large and mid-sized CNI ESG agendas start now to put pressure on their supply chains on their suppliers and who will be able to position itself as a provider not only for this Large and mid sized companies, but also to support them in the decarbonization of their supply chains will be more successful. I believe that a fourth trend that we see more and more in large and mid sized CNI clients is that shopping for DG solutions is becoming increasingly integrated with overall energy procurement strategy. Of course, this is a combination of ESG agendas and energy procurement agendas. But we're seeing more and more uh, large and mid-sized companies, not saying that this is something new, something that we already have seen many companies in the United States doing this, but I believe it's becoming more and more a trend that we should be focusing on and be aware of. And to finalize, something that I believe it is impacting North America, uh, but it comes from, from the outside. What's happening in Europe is putting uh, a lot of pressure on on supply chains. European governments are doubling down the bet on renewables in a way to become more and more independent. It's no longer a run to become greener. It's a run to become more and more independent in terms of energy. And this is having an impact in other markets because it's putting pressure, increased pressure on, on supply chains.
0: You know, Gustavo, I wonder... When we think about the macroeconomic impact, uh, it does underscore some of the things that you outlined here with a global move towards both centralized uh, procurement and a push on all levels in all countries to accelerate the move towards clean energy. It further constrains. I remember when I was at Trina having a constant battle with like who I could allocate product to. So the supply constraint issues that you pointed out in 22 and 20, even in 21, uh, I think are likely to persist simply based on what we see with an extremely accelerated transition uh, to clean energy in Europe, based on the the Ukraine conflict. Do you have any data points that might sort of underscore that for us?
1: Yes, Nico. To, to give you an idea on on how important is the defender partnerships and the developer partnerships that I put in in number one in, in the trends and priority lists. Sharing with you a recent conversation that I had with with one of our Vendor partners back in back in Europe. It's a global uh, supplier uh, that provides uh, equipment for for DG uh, markets, North America, Europe, and and everywhere. And we were discussing allocation because we we were discussing our plans and our needs. And you know what, Nico? To my surprise, and probably to to your surprise as well, he told me when we when we were discussing the the allocation. Uh, for Q2, Q3, Q4, uh, for our needs. He told me that only the German market was procuring, was ordering from them the same number as the entire US companies were ordering from them.
0: Is that in POs? Like he has POs already in place from Germany for that volume?
1: That's in POs.
0: (laughs) So hang on, let me see if I got that right. The PO stack that he has from Germany Is equivalent to the entirety of the U.S.
1: Yes. Second quarter, third quarter. Those were the numbers he was sharing. That's the kind of impact that we're putting, that Europe is putting on, on, on the supply chain at the moment.
0: On the global supply. That's, I mean, this is like 2008 numbers, right? Like you had Spain or Germany taking up all of the global allocation and it was hard for us to get product. And this is insightful because, as I suggested, I don't think the supply constraints are going away, mainly because of the the conflict in Ukraine and its relevant acceleration of the neighboring markets. Which, lest we forget, the relevant markets in the globe that basically catapulted us into the current sort of uh, tailwind that we all appreciate the the parabolic curve of growth for solar globally, thanks to Germany and then Spain and then the
1: UK and then the
0: US, not in the, not in some other order,
1: right? Absolutely. And this, this really depicts the importance of the relationships that we need to nurture with our key vendors. Uh, it's absolutely key that we keep these relationships as tight and as transparent and as trustworthy as we can so we can, we can plan for, for, for the future, so we can deliver what we are committed to deliver with our customers on time.
0: You know, Gustavo. It's something that we see time and time again in conversations here that uh, we've touched on. We've helped sort of folks understand and define what scope one, scope two, scope three emissions are. And I think one of the things that you enunciated here is actually really important, and that is the ability for global company, you mentioned Foresee as an example, Walmart as an example, to not develop internal capacity for supplying clean energy to their partners, but rather to, to help empower them to develop their own solutions, right? And as you said, I, th- I think what I heard you say is that EDPR, a global platform, can allow global corporate partners to find the resources they need and not reinvent the wheel on energy PPAs and local siting and all of these things, right? Which is a really powerful tool that a lot of, I'm sure a lot of retail customers are are looking for, to help solve the broader ESG agenda that you've highlighted, that is a really, really good point. I'm glad that you uh, that you highlighted it for us, and it also means that wherever EDPR and companies like EDPR have a footprint, they likewise depend on and rely on local developers and a local network of folks. As as we discussed in our community solar series with one of your development team, that developing that network uh, all the way at the hyper local level is super important. It is what it is. What in fact a global company like uh, Walmart or Amazon or Forexia is depending on so that they don't have to go reinvent that for themselves. With that in mind, I'd love it uh, as we sort of close out the conversation here, knowing that there are a number of folks here listening that are developing their own pipelines. Maybe they work with EDPR and perhaps they don't, uh, but nevertheless, they can learn from the depth of experience and, and breadth of knowledge that you all bring to the marketplace. I'm curious if you'd have any parting words of advice for developers as they finalize uh, their plans and that sort of round out the, the first month of the year here, this stands to be a hallmark year for distributed generation in North America.
1: I think the first word is one that we also already, already mentioned here, is, which is finding the right partnership. Mm-hmm. It's something that we need to continue to push forward in terms of acceleration in the industry. We don't get there uh, working by ourselves alone. We need to partner and we need to, to choose the right partners.
0: Where is EDPR particularly focused for 23? Where do you need partners like what you just outlined?
1: I believe we're going to continue, we'll continue to, to focus our growth uh, in those states that we're already present and where we, we started our, our operations in, in DG, meaning the, the East Coast, of course, the states that we have more presence, not only in, in development pipeline, but also in operational fleets. We're, we're electing the West Coast now as also an area to, to start focusing more and more as we are increasing our presence there uh, with, with more and more sites for CNI. And I would also say Midwest states where we have been reinforcing our presence lately this, this year will continue to be uh, a focus geography uh, for the coming years. We're looking... To increase our presence, as, as I said, in the Midwest states, I would highlight, of course, Ohio, Wisconsin, and Illinois as three priorities that we have as of today. And we are very, very keen on on growing there uh, in the coming years. And also as an additional advice for developers, uh, I believe it's quite relevant while working with with GDPR and uh, and also with with other with other partners. It's, it's relevant to, to focus on creating a, community, a local community bond and local community impact. We as a partner that wishes and will stay working with the community for 25, 35 and more years, we are very committed to laying out the right kind of impact, the positive impact in our projects. And that needs to start with the developers that we are partnering with. And as another piece of advice, if I may, uh, to developers that uh, we are trying to work with and that we want to work with is make sure that we are all aware of the role of communities in creating success for our projects. Partnering with, with communities around our projects is, is really, really important to us. Uh, we're not building a project and we're going away. No, we're staying there for 25, 35, 35, and, or even more years. And we want to ensure that we're trusted partners As sometimes we say, we call ourselves, we want to be seen as trusted neighbors and that we are working with with local communities to empower them. We're not here to give them power. We're We're trying to empower them to use greener and more sustainable energy for the future. And this should start from the beginning of our projects, meaning that the developers that we're willing to partner with need to have this mindset.
0: And in addition, uh, as local stewards and local good good local neighbors, you're creating great jobs and uh, you're helping show uh, the future generations in those communities what it looks like to be environmental stewards. And I think that makes all the difference. And there definitely are developers out there who have that mindset. There are developers who are just land merchants and they're trying to flip property for something more valuable than ag or real estate. I love the ability to focus on not just the short-term construction jobs, but the permanent jobs that are added. To these projects, and I concur with you that being a good steward and a good neighbor is a key element of being a good developer uh, for the kinds, of, the kind of scale that we need. Um, it's not just a transaction for most of these communities and these farmers. Uh, so I really appreciate that color, Gustavo. Gustavo, it's been uh, really a pleasure to have you on the on the show. I look forward to hearing more about how your plans unfold in the year and who uh, from our community chooses to, to reach out and partner with you. Where can folks fo- follow along in your journey and connect with you and your team?
1: No, thank you, Nico. It was uh, a true pleasure and a privilege to be here with you today. And for that, I would invite everybody uh, to check out our brand new website, www.edprnadg.com. We have plenty of content there, not only this podcast that we're doing with you so successfully, uh, but plenty of other contacts. And I believe that's the best way to get in touch with our team, visit www.dprinadg.com.
0: Absolutely. And we'll link to that, of course, in uh, the show notes for this episode. You can check out the monthly Distributed Energy Insights blog and the unbelievable resource center that your team, including Tom and the great marketing uh, folks you have at EDPR have put together. Gustavo, wish you well, and I look forward to seeing you out in the wild soon. Thank you so much. For those who have done any amount of planning for your business and used third-party data, it's highly likely you've turned, as I have in my past, to the Woodmac U.S. Solar Market Quarterly Insights Report. The report is considered the gold standard for market size, forecast, and trends, and I'm honored to have Michelle Davis, the lead author, back once again to talk about what this latest quarter report can tell us. Well, various times in the conversation, we have mentioned the importance in planning of using third-party verifiable data. Arguably, no one has built a more trusted and verifiable database in the North America solar market for sure than the folks over at Wood Mackenzie, which we affectionately refer to as Wood Mac. Here to talk a bit about the underlying fidelity of that data and what it says about 2023 is the lead author from the latest Solar Market Insight report, which is a quarterly report from Wood Mac, Michelle Davis. Michelle, great to see you.
2: You too, Nico. Great to be here.
0: Always fun to have you on the show. You always provide us the insights that we need, as well as your report provides all the insight that developers rely on for most of the folks I know. It is a cornerstone to their marketing budget requests, their sales forecasts, et cetera. (laughs) Imagine that uh, comes with a certain amount of both prestige and stress for you and your team.
2: Certainly, yes. (laughs) It's a very structured, regimented process to get the report out. You
0: know, I think a lot of folks would think that these reports from Wood Mac, and others that effectively try to structure a narrative around market forecasts and projections are kind of quote for the big guys. So, I wanted to ask at the outset for these kinds of data sets and the reports that uh, that you produce, who is the audience, and how do we contextualize this data for folks that maybe don't have the kind of budget or team or business size that an EDPR has?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. The answer is basically that the Solar Market Insight Report is for anybody interested in solar. We write the reports so that even some of the most complex issues in the industry can be well understood to someone who's unfamiliar with solar, just sort of someone who's generally involved in the energy industry. You know, obviously, SIA is a partner with us on this report, uh, and publishing it. So we want it to have a wide audience. We want it to be very relevant for multiple different types of folks in the industry and to really break down some of the complex issues of this industry into something everyone can understand, uh, and learn about for this growing, this growing area.
0: I'm glad that you mentioned SIA, the Solar Energy Industries Association, your partner on the report for many years now, all the way back to, I believe when it was, uh, being produced by Green Tech Media prior to the WoodMack acquisition.
2: Yep, absolutely. In
0: terms of years, how long has this report been in production and continuously in terms of database maintenance? And then where does this data for the Solar Market Insight report come from?
2: Yeah, good question. The Solar Market Insight report's been published consistently since 2010, so quite some time, wow. a lot earlier than me joining the team I've been around since two thousand seventeen, so it's had a long history uh, prior to to my tenure. We've been very fortunate with the longevity of the solar market Insight report because we've been able to establish long running data partnerships mm-hmm. with multiple utilities and program administrators. so the uh, real foundation of the data that we analyze and report on for the report is all of this project level data from yeah. utilities, developers, program administrators, et cetera. So, and and I'm a little bit more focused on distributed solar. We have about right. 70 to 80% of the distributed solar markets in the U.S. covered in terms of project-level details. Yeah, Where we don't have project-level detail or project-level data, we, of course, fill that in with other data sources in order to at least size the market. So, Even if we don't have project level details, we can at least tell the market, this is the size of the market. This was how much was installed in each quarter.
0: You know, there are a number of reporting agencies, not the least of which is the US EIA or Energy Information Administration. And I'm sure that a common refrain or pushback to why would I buy a report like this would be, well, why can't I just use EIA data? Isn't that it's publicly available? It's aggregated by the government.
2: Yeah, good question. Sometimes folks ask us about this too. We do use EIA data occasionally when we don't have anything better. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because if anybody out there consistently uses EIA data, particularly on distributed solar, they've probably discovered that it's got some inconsistencies and some errors. Mm-hmm. The EIA reports on the total amount of, of cumulative installations that were net metered in a given utility territory and state every mm-hmm. month we use that it's certainly useful but there's lots of instances where the cumulative total goes down which of course doesn't make any sense where the data is missing where it's obvious that somebody who was responsible for reporting at the utility didn't fill in their forms for like 2 years and then all of a sudden there's a massive spike when somebody reported 2 years worth of distributed solar data yeah so the value of you know of our report is that we're taking a lot of those data sources we've got more granular, in-depth data sources that that serve as the bulk uh, mm-hmm. of what we're looking at, and we're really, you know, we're we're cleaning it, we're organizing it, we're standardizing it, so that it it really is the the source of truth for the industry.
0: Yeah, in terms of source of truth, I had a question because I read I read the reports, um, I at least get a chance to read the executive summary of each report every quarter, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who having looked at it, no, no changes quarter over quarter. So I had a couple of questions. Can you address the, the top line question of why are there changes quarter to quarter, in particular, the percent delta quarter to quarter uh, in numbers, if someone compares one quarter to another, which in my mind would produce a question around data quality. So I wanted to just ask that in the outset, how frequently is the data updated? And then how do, how do we rationalize or justify the changes in data? And how do you ensure data quality?
2: Great question. We collect data every quarter. And even though there are changes from quarter to quarter, that's due to the fact that when we get a new quarterly data set, so for example, this quarter, it would have been all the data installed through Q3. Mm-hmm. We also get any updates for Q2 volumes. And those updates tend to vary about anywhere from you know 10 to 15% from what we would have reported last quarter for Q2. And that's just because of some, you know, Some utilities might have data delays. Some projects might have been filled in retroactively or added to the data set retroactively. It's a fairly common issue in data sets to have some historical changes. And that's why it's so important when you're looking at the the SMI reports and the SMI data to use whatever the most recent quarter is, because that's going to have the most updated data sources for every historical quarter.
0: For those of us who aren't research quants, looking at databases all the time. Could you explain a bit the methodology underlying how the forecasts are made? So there's one that there's one element of the report, which says, here is the prior quarter. It's always a quarter behind looking back. Here's the prior quarter data. And here is what we, from that information, are able to forecast about what is to come, which is in fact, why most folks buy the report because they want to be able to forecast what they can expect and what the market is going to do, what the TAM and uh, and their participation in it would look like. Can you discuss a little bit the underlying methodology for that forecast?
2: Sure. There's multiple different factors that we take into consideration when we put together a forecast. Obviously, the quarterly pace of additions is one of them, particularly in distributed solar. Other analysts on our team focus on utility scale, and they have a lot of data on utility scale pipeline, so that's a really huge source of data and information for the near-term forecast. For distributed solar, thinking a little bit more on the commercial side of things, commercial and community solar, we also have solid amounts of pipeline data in, in key major states. So in addition to any historical quarterly data that we receive and thinking through the pace of installations, we also have pipeline for what's going to get built in the next two to three years. So we're utilizing that pipeline data for the near term. Yeah. Another major input to our forecasts, this is one of the, I would say, major value adds for our clients is that we are constantly talking to folks in the industry. All the analysts are having dozens of calls every quarter talking to folks about what does your pipeline look like? What does your sales backlog look like for residential, which is a big problem right now actually. Residential installers just they have so much business they can't get to it fast enough. So we're asking those questions. We've got, you know, lots of anecdotes and evidence from folks doing work directly on the ground that informs the growth rates that we assume and the projections that we put out. And then I think the final thing I would like to note is that we're also looking, particularly in distributed solar, at market penetration. So what percent of residential homes has solar? What percent of commercial buildings has solar? And for sort of further out in our outlooks, we're asking ourselves, does this make sense? Mm. Is this state hitting a market penetration? that would sort of lead to an obvious decline in growth because it's just getting harder and harder to, in- to sell each incremental solar sure. project. Mm. So that's, that's sort of the, the forecast methodology yeah. cliff notes.
0: I appreciate that. Well, we keep hitting milestone after milestone. Uh, I mean, for us who've been in the industry for a decade or more, breathtaking pace, despite many setbacks this year, breathtaking pace of the residential solar sector. The most recent report, I think, was 1.5 gigawatts of res- resi installed in yeah. Q4.
2: First quarter it had ever done that.
0: Magnificent, right? Just like really blowing the roof off, so to speak, <laughs> the market <laughs> unintended. Could you talk a bit about, you know, not every sector is tracking to record growth because of a lot of things that um, that hampered the industry. I'd love to hear how on track is the segment to current forecast? How did the, how did the year turn out? How did you know, before we get into Q1 data and, and, or not data, but Q1 forecast, how'd the year shake out? Tell, give us some of the highlights from your Q4 report and how it compared perhaps to how you thought the year was going to go.
2: Sure. Well, we've consistently increased our residential solar forecast every quarter of this year. One of the, the biggest factors leading to that increase is that as California has been in the midst of their big net metering 3.0 battle, if you will, Installers are racing to install as much solar as they can under the current net metering regime. Right. So one of the big reasons for that record breaking quarter in Q three was that California grew quarterly installations to five hundred and seventy megawatts. It's the biggest quarter it's ever had.
0: One third of all US installations.
2: Yeah, exactly. So we're forecasting almost five gigawatts of residential solar to be installed in, you know, the the prior year. We won't have actual confirmation of what that ended up being until we collect all of our data for Q4, of course. This year's forecast for residential solar in 2022 is forecast to be just under 5 gigawatts. And the solar industry, the residential sector at least in particular, has has never been that high. So it's certainly going to be a record year for that industry.
0: Yeah. Well, I know that uh, the year to date totals by sector Uh, Are not what we were expecting when the year started out. What were some of the things that uh, hampered the industry in 2022 that you perhaps didn't anticipate when you issued the original report for the beginning of last year?
2: Yeah, this year, more than probably any other year that I've tracked, the solar industry had the most starts and stops. Mm. We started the year with the initiation of the anti circumvention case that created this three-month-long period of uncertainty and everyone hitting the brakes on their development because they had no idea what to expect as far as equipment procurement with the threat of new tariffs. Then the Biden administration released an executive order. They uh, put a moratorium on new tariffs and business could sort of continue again. People were you know, buying modules, initiating orders, However, modules were still uh, quite expensive, and they've been elevated in pricing all year. Then, of course, we had the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, which was, of course, a massive boon to the industry. In our forecasts last year, or sorry, last quarter, we forecast that the benefit of the IRA for just the next five years was going to be an increase of 40% in solar installations. So a real market catalyst.
0: And so, with that in mind, where did the numbers land for us?
2: Yeah, in 2022, in our last report, we expect a little over 18 gigawatts to be installed in the solar industry. Wow. In the beginning of the year, we were expecting more like 22 or 23 gigawatts. Mm. And that was already taking into account some pretty intense supply chain constraints that we were aware of from the latter half of 2021. Right. And in particular, the more, the sort of most notable segment was uh, utility-scale solar. We were initially expecting towards the beginning of the year, before all of this anti-circumvention drama, before the UFLPA detentions, we were expecting almost 15 gigawatts of utility-scale yeah. solar to be installed this year. Now it's going to be just an, over 10. Yeah. So quite a dramatic impact for 2022. It's been a, a down year for the industry, for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, a down year for the industry, certainly... Nearly 25% year over year declines in CNI and the utility sectors collectively, Resi Solar being the rare uh, exception for the year. And despite overall decline year over year, solar, uh, as per your report, accounted for nearly 40% of all new electricity generating capacity added to the US grid through the third quarter of the year. I mean, I feel like for a moment, everyone should just pause and just like pat ourselves on the back and give an applause because even in a down year, Uh, It is very clear. Solar is not only here to stay, but is the dominant source of new electricity, not just here in America, but globally.
2: Absolutely. I think, Nico, the stat's actually 45% in our most recent report.
0: Oh, you are right. That's what I get for having both reports open at the same time. You see, it does change from quarter to quarter per my last point. One of the things that I think is interesting, and I feel like folks maybe put a little too much emphasis on when they read the report. Is there's a really fun chart, if you will, that ranks states by volume. (laughs) The biggest market movers by state, for example, we see Illinois making a huge jump, Wisconsin, Iowa to 13 from 24. And I'm curious, is there anything underlying that data that perhaps is non obvious for folks reading the report that you would want as a purveyor of the report to just like maybe discuss or or heed caution around?
2: Sure. So when you see, it's it's a mix of, of sometimes actual policy that's driving a forecast change and sometimes just some large utility-scale projects actually coming online. So right. in the examples you brought up of states like Iowa or Wisconsin, those jumps would have been due to new utility-scale projects that finally came online. In the instance of Illinois, the uh, Illinois community solar forecast has gotten increased in the last few quarters, mostly because the state approved the next uh, blocks of the adjustable block program uh, for folks out there who are following Illinois, which of course adds additional years of rec funding for their distributed solar and community solar programs and just puts a lot more certainty on the likelihood of that pipeline getting built out, which led to forecast increases.
0: Massive pipeline there, as we know from the previous rounds of that program, that was just sort yes. of in a wait and see, like the rest of the market goes to go figure. Now, one yep. thing that stands out to me before we jump into 23 data is the surprising decline and rather precipitous of Virginia. I'd love to know if there's anything underlying the data for Virginia that you could highlight because Virginia previously was in the top five uh, consistently, and now it's almost out of the top 25. It's like It's like watching your favorite football team slide out of the AP poll.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately, Virginia had a policy passed in the middle of this year that lowered our expectations for its new community solar market. So a lot of the folks in the community solar industry were quite optimistic and excited about the Virginia community solar market, which was going to start in earnest in 2023. But then they passed a Uh, They passed legislation that basically requires a fairly high minimum bill for customers, Hmm. which makes it quite difficult to provide savings for community solar customers. The bright spot is that there's an exception for low to middle income customers. So if you are a community solar developer who subscribes exclusively low to middle income subscribers, that minimum bill doesn't apply. But for standard community solar customers that don't necessarily meet those low to middle income requirements, the minimum bill does apply and it does make it a lot harder to achieve those savings. So we will obviously be monitoring that market and talking to folks who are trying to do business there to see how that shakes out in the next year or so.
0: Well, let's get into the data for this year, 2023. What revelations does the latest quarterly report offer for developers as we look out To the new year?
2: Sure. 2023 should be a year of recovery for the solar industry. We're expecting over 27 gigawatts of build, which will stand in contrast to the over 18 that we forecast was going to be built by the end of last year. And that'll be a 50% increase. Mm -hmm. That obviously sounds real fantastic. But of course, it's basically a lot of delayed projects from 2022 into 2023. Most of those are likely under construction right now, or they're in very advanced stages of development and they are about to initiate construction. Mm. So for 2023, it should mostly be a recovery year, installing projects that had been delayed, You know, getting projects online that were waiting for equipment to be delivered.
0: The number, again, for those who were distracted, the 23 expectation total gigawatts?
2: It's a little over 27.
0: 27. Perfect. A little over 27 gigawatts. Is is there a prior year that uh, that approximates that volume? We know that 2022 is uh, obviously a down year.
2: The closest year is uh, 2021 with Mm -hmm. a little over 24 gigawatts. So if this year hits the levels that we are expecting, it will be a record year. Uh, but yeah. of course, with the caveat that 2022 should have been a bigger year if it hadn't been for a lot of the supply chain constraints and snafus that occurred this year.
0: Yeah, it still looks like more than 10 percent market growth over the biggest year we've ever had. So that's not jump change. Wall Street's definitely going to pay attention to, to that. <laughs> yep, absolutely. I'd love to hear, is there anything that the folks in the CNI or community solar sector can anticipate or expect that you're seeing in the data for 23 that would give them hope given that 2022 was a down year?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. We are expecting for both of those markets to see growth in 2023 over this past year. A lot of the projects that will come online this year are likely under construction, just like the utility scale market. I think for commercial and community solar, probably the biggest thing for developers to of course keep in mind, is that a lot of these markets are fairly concentrated in just a handful of incredibly active states. So you really need to be quite active in those markets and be on top of getting into allocations or submitting your applications for block capacity or however the program is structured. So really being active and successful in those markets comes down to being active and successful in a handful of states.
0: Would you be able to enunciate beyond New York and Illinois, which are well-established states, what other states should developers be looking at that you anticipate are really going to perform well in the uh, c and sector and as well in the community sector?
2: Yeah, good question. For community solar in particular, New York, as you were saying, is going to continue to be the the largest market by far. We are also expecting growth in states like New Jersey and uh, New Mexico has a new program, which folks are pretty excited about. Despite the policy challenges that we were just talking about with Virginia, that's also expected to be a sizable market for sure. Those are some of the, the newest markets in the community solar space. California is also finalizing the legislation was passed this year to create community solar programs in California. And the CPUC will be finalizing details and creating program rules and structures this year. So we do expect that market to also be an active one for developers starting this year and going forward.
0: Yeah, expect to see a climb in the rankings for 2024 for sure.
2: Yeah, yeah. And of course, state markets like New Jersey and New York will continue to be strong areas for com- for commercial solar. I will say commercial solar has uh diversified more it it is more diversified than uh community solar across a lot of states so it's still concentrated it it is still concentrated in a handful of markets but we are seeing growth across across almost every state in the US
0: fantastic well that is music to the ears of many of the companies that are waiting longing as i have for 10 15 years for the cni sector to finally present the opportunity that we all know that is possible. There's so many underutilized rooftops out there waiting for these markets to uh, to create the the, the platform and uh, make it desirable. Uh, finally, I'm glad to hear uh, states like Illinois are doubling down, not just on CNI, uh, on community, but also on CNI. Apart from that, New York, New Jersey, California, uh, stalwarts in the CNI sector. So no surprises there. I would like to know. What are the biggest factors influencing the outlook for 2023 and into 2024?
2: The biggest factor is just honestly going to be the pipeline of projects that we know was delayed in 2022. So because of all those pent up projects, that's what leads to our expected 50% growth in 2023 over 2022. So that's, that's really the impetus there. In addition, in 2023, the residential sector is also expected to have another big year mostly because of the implementation of the California NEM 3.0 policy. So there will be a big rush to install projects just like there has been so far this year. That's going to continue, which will lead to another big residential solar year before we start to see slowdowns in residential solar in California towards the end of 2023.
0: I'd love to know, are there any other notable residential markets that are on the radar for you all that you're seeing? The rising tide.
2: Yeah, great question. Florida and Texas continue to be massive markets that are mm-hmm. growing uh, quite robustly. Arizona hasn't really slowed down either. It's uh, usually a top five market, and those are those are definitely the the largest markets that we expect in the next couple of years. Yeah.
0: Well, Michelle, uh, as we look out over the year, there are still some things that represent headwinds. I think. Not the least of which is how our policy and our department of commerce treats certain issues around uh, anti-circumvention and uflpa on december 2nd after the most recent report was uh, completed the department of commerce issued a preliminary affirmative ruling in the anti-circumvention case that was initiated earlier in the year which itself had tremendous impact on the market as folks were in this wait and see i'm curious The ruling didn't happen in time for you to incorporate this into your forecasts. I'd love to understand if you have any additional guidance and what factors you're considering around how policy and in particular trade policy could impact the forecast that we're seeing.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. It is something that we are actively looking at right now. And some analysts on the solar team here at Wood Mackenzie are going to be putting out some research about it quite soon, actually. The main thing that we're going to be looking at when it comes to the implications of these new tariffs is the supply picture. So obviously, with new tariffs that will go into effect starting in mid 2024, folks are going to be looking for module supply outside of, of Southeast Asia that will have the tariffs applied. So we are you know, making sure that we're solidifying all of our data on which new facilities are going to come online by that time frame which are going to be able to deliver modules to developers in the U.S. And then how does that compare to the amount of solar demand that we expect in 2024 and onward? So that's going to be a really important thing for us to quantify and nail down before we have a real solid view on the impacts of new tariffs.
0: Well, Michelle, I for sure will be eagerly watching uh, both all of the WoodMac and your personal posts on LinkedIn for uh, signs and tidbits of what's to come. But for those who wish to learn more, dig deeper, actually get their hands on the report, not just the executive summary, but the data behind it and the actual full long report, how could they learn more about the work that you do, connect with you and get their hands on that
2: report? Sure. We do sell the report as a one-off um, mm-hmm. just on our Woodmac website. But mm-hmm. of course, uh, I would always encourage folks to consider a subscription to all of the fantastic Research and data that we include in our solar subscriptions, which of course includes the Solar Market Insight report. Gotcha. So, you know, all of that information is very easily found on the Wood Mackenzie websites. You can put Solar Market Insight into Google and you'll find lots of great information right away.
0: Yep. If you search Wood Mack Solar Market Insight, it is the first result. I will also link to it in the show notes. I'll also link to uh, Michelle's LinkedIn so that you can reach out and connect personally with Michelle. Michelle Davis is Principal Analyst for U.S. Distributed Solar at Wood McKinsey. And it is always a pleasure to have you back on Suncast. Thanks for joining us
2: again. Of course, Nico.
0: All right. Well, that is a wrap on today's Practical Insights. And I expect that you are now well equipped for the rest of this 2023. Is the year already as exciting and optimistic for you as Gustavo and Michelle have painted it out to be? What reservations, if any, still linger for you? I'd love to hear your thoughts, so please take a moment to comment on our LinkedIn post today and let Michelle and Gustavo and their teams know that you took the time to listen to this episode. Share it with someone else, or better yet, go subscribe to our weekly emails, and if you'd like to give me feedback specifically on how we can improve or what else we could be doing to bring you value in these episodes, of course, you should subscribe to our weekly emails and hit me up with a direct reply. Special thanks to our friends over at EDPR and Gustavo Montero for sharing with our audience your views on the trends, tailwinds, and even obstacles facing the distributed generation market. Learn more about what they're up to at www.edprnadg.com. And thanks again to Michelle Davis and our friends at Woodmac for sharing firsthand what the Solar Market Insight Report has to say about the months to come. I hope that it will serve you well in your planning. I hope you feel better equipped as well to move with confidence into the rest of this quarter, Solar Warrior. We'll be right back here on Thursday with a distributed generation OG, the founder of Jordan Energy and Let's Share the Sun Foundation, Mr. Bill Jordan. Curious what it looks like to focus on one market and really dominate it? Jordan Energy has done more solar on dairy farms than just about any other developer. And his inspiring story of building solar in developing countries will surely have you pondering whether you're doing all you can do with the resources you've been given. If you've been wondering how you could partner with Suncast as a sponsor, get coaching from me personally to help you scale your clean energy business or transition into the solar industry, or maybe you're just looking to commune with myself and other like-minded souls in our one-of-a-kind community, you find everything you need at mysuncast.com. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the
2: battle.